Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Switches, where we're preparing to slip into our pyjamas and wallow in World Cup fever for the next six months. That's why everyone's stockpiling food, right? <laughs> uh, ready for the party. Um, but first things first, we have a debutant on the pod today with ESPN Cricket Info General Editor Valkyrie Baines joining us in the studio. Mark Butcher is the venerable old pro standing by to hand out her cap. Any of the words of advice, Butch? Uh, um, well, basically, don't do any sort of research whatsoever. Um, Oops. And uh, say the first thing that comes into your head. Done. <laughs> Sounds like good advice to me. Um, as you'll notice, uh, Valkyrie's Australian, uh, um, probably uh, a decent outside bet for a World Cup spot, given their recent struggles. <laughs> um, also, probably the first time on here She's we've never had... never in the women's side. They're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This That's, is very that, true. That is true. Um, yes. But the men. Uh, uh, every chance. Probably the first time <laughs> on here we've had the chance to discuss Norse... Norse... North? Easy for me to say. Norse mythology. Ah, yes. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, just parents fans of... Uh, that's right. You know, the I'm Great not- Scrolls. That's right. I'm not Nordic, but the name is. So yeah, no, they are they're Wagner fans. So that's where it comes from. German yeah. composers. Yeah, <laughs> raising the tone already. Mm. Well, the assuming big, the uh, big Bosch. <laughs> assuming um, Ragnarok doesn't occur in the next half hour or so, this should be fun. Uh, we'll be looking back on England's comprehensively inconsequential, or should that be inconsequentially comprehensive, uh, win in the St Lucia Test. And then turning our attention to 50-over cricket, the traditional form of the game closest to the heart of all true Englishmen. Speaking of which, (laughs) let's catch up with Birmingham's finest, George Sabell, on the phone from Barbados. George, it's a tough gig, but someone's got to do it. Um, But England haven't had the easiest time out in the Caribbean. Um, They'll probably be feeling a bit better, though, after signing off from Test cricket until July with a victory. And there, and there were some good things about the victory, weren't there? I mean, obviously, Joe Root played very well. Uh, but I do think you have to acknowledge that West Indies weren't at their best, that they lacked a bit of the intensity they'd had in previous games. Uh, and you often see this, don't you, in dead rubbers, that one team maybe subconsciously lets their foot off the accelerator just a little bit. And I, I, I think it would be disingenuous not to acknowledge that England did win at, in a dead rubber. But yeah, you're right. They, they, it's quite a good way to sign off. But I really do think they have to forget about Test cricket, really, for the next few months, because it is a constant diet of white ball cricket now for five months. And I, I think the World Cup campaign has to be their complete focus. Uh, it's probably how this team's era is going to be defined, how they do in the World Cup. And... Uh, this is the chance, this is the moment. They've got five months to concentrate on it and they've just got to forget about the Ashes for now. Well, that's right, it's, it's focused on the white ball uh, for the foreseeable, though it will be without Paul Farbrace, the assistant coach. Uh, seen news at the weekend that he will be uh, departing at the conclusion of this tour. He's got a job with Warwickshire. Uh, is that likely to be disruptive for this team, do you think? I think that's a really good question and I suppose the true answer is we don't know. Without in any way being disrespectful to him, because I think he's had a huge role to play, I suspect they will deal with it quite well. Uh, I think when uh, Paul Fabre started, he was instrumental in changing the way this white ball team played. People remember he was interim head coach, uh, sort of May, June uh, 2015, when England went through a radical transformation from also Rams to being this aggressive white ball side who have enjoyed unprecedented success by their standards. But what they haven't done is won a major trophy. And it does seem unfortunate that one of the architects should leave right on the eve of that trophy. Uh, Will he be missed? I, I do think that they've pretty much established what they do, the methods, the structure, and actually they will cope with his departure pretty well. The one area where I think he does leave a hole is in his relationship with Trevor Bayliss. Obviously, those guys go way back. They work together with Sri Lanka. They've been together with England for these, this, this four-year period. And, and he's sort of, Paul Farbrace, he's, he's, he's sort of Bayliss's enforcer. He is the one who gets grumpy. He is the one who maybe has the difficult conversations at times. 
times. And, and it may be isolated Trevor a little bit. Um, so so that, that is one area where I, 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 I would be slightly concerned. The other thing I think is interesting is that it shows how ruthless Ashley Giles will be. I think sentimentally it would have been very easy to say, look, carry on till the end of the World Cup at least and go before the Ashes. Um, Farbrace had a six-month notice period. Warwickshire knew that. They were prepared to wait for him. Uh, but Giles has said, no, when, uh, as soon as this Caribbean tour's over, go. That's the biggest break. Uh, that will cause minimum disruption. And I think that's quite a harsh... It's probably correct as well. It's probably... It's probably typically Ashley Giles. He is more ruthless than people realise. Uh, and this is a pretty obvious demonstration of that. So I have some sympathy for Paul Farbrace, but he is going to do a really good job. He was out of contract in a few months, and I think he probably realised he wasn't going to get the main head coach's job with England. Um, it's interesting, he's actually going to Giles's old job um, and swapping mm-hmm. an international role for, for, a, for a county one. I mean, it perhaps says something about kind of the demands on, on the coaching team as well as the players um, with England these days. Do you know something that I probably didn't make the point strongly enough in the piece I wrote about it was that he really is actually getting Ashley Giles' job, as in he will be called Director of Sport, which is a slightly bizarre title at Warwickshire, because obviously they don't do any other sports. <laughs> but uh, the reason for that was because it was a new role and it allowed them to pay Ashley Giles more and lure him away from Lancashire. Now, when they originally advertised for the post, it was a Director of Cricket role. When, when they advertise for the new realm. Um, and I think they have appointed Farbrace Director of Sport because uh, his salary demands, I guess, his experience, uh, warranted the same sort of role and same sort of budget as Ashley Giles is getting. So uh, it, they are probably paying more than they thought they were going to. They're probably getting a figure of... Well, I, I think he's a, a well-known figure at this stage right across the world. He did turn down huge money, I understand, to be Bangladesh coach, and he's had offers from several other clubs, including Surrey. So uh, it's quite a coup for Warwickshire, I think. Uh, Andy Flower also went for this job. It's, it's In county cricket terms, it's a big job. He won't have to travel as much, obviously. Uh, it, it's probably a really good fit for everyone involved, and I think you know Warwickshire should think of it as, as, as quite a coup. Um, back to the the squad, uh, um, England uh, uh, five match ODI series. There is still some competition for World Cup places, isn't there? Particularly, I guess people like Mark Wood, Joe Denley, perhaps on the fringes of that fifteen, with, with the kind of official selection in mind. Yeah. There's definitely a fast bowling space uh, up the grabs, and uh, there are a few. There are three or four people probably going for one spot, uh, although it depends a little bit on what they do uh, on the makeup of the squad. At the moment, yeah, you're right, there's this Denley, perhaps Liam Dawson role, which could also go to, or Sam Billings, perhaps, uh, what you might call a utility player or a batsman who bowls a bit or something like that. Uh, the other, which is an interesting position because I'm not sure they're going to play, so I'm not sure the point of that role. And you might as well go for, you know, a specialist, I would have thought. But uh, the other one, uh, interesting one is that last fast bowling spot. And I think Mark Wood was missing out two weeks ago. Uh, but he showed what he could potentially do during that last test in St. Lucia, you know, in, in bowling with extreme pace. And he's back in the mix. I think he played one of the ODIs in Sri Lanka, uh, and he played in the warm-up game yesterday, and I think he'll probably play um, the first few games of this series. Uh, Chris Wokes plays and he's fit, and he looked excellent yesterday. Um, Liam Plunkett is a worry, because I don't think he's replaceable, but he looks as if he is in decline a little bit, which is harsh to say, but he's just not as quick as he was. And then you've got people like Tom Curran, Joffre Archer, who's got to get a mention at this stage, all vying for that sort of last scene bowling role. But I'm a bit worried about Liam Plunkett, you know, because he used to be able to bowl, you know, 140k, back of a length, bowl those cutters. And he still could bowl those cutters beautifully, but he doesn't have the extra pace anymore. And it means that batsmen aren't quite as worried about the potential fastball 
and they know the slow ball's coming. So uh, I, I, there are some doubts about whether he can still get it down there at the same pace he used to. He's about to be 34. There are quite a lot of miles on the clock. And I think he goes into this five-match series against West Indies with, with just a little bit to prove. Uh, but I hope I'm wrong, because I, I don't see who replaces him in the middle overs of the innings. It's not an easy job that he's fulfilled, and he's done it brilliantly for the last three or four years. Well, thanks, George. We'll let you get back to your modest hotel room in the least sunny part of Barbados. You should say you could probably hear them collecting the rubbish outside now. I, I, I told myself when I knew you were going to find nice and early that I would force myself to go for a run, but now we've done it, I might force myself to go back to sleep. <laughs> Sounds like it. I know which option I'd take. <laughs> right. Enjoy. Have a lovely day. Cheerio. Butch, before we pack away the test coffin, um, how important was it England got something out of this tour? Um. um... Oh, blimey, that, it, not not vastly important. It was nice. Um, it was. It, it may well serve as a, as a bit of a of a reminder, a bit of a lesson to team management personnel that um, you know there. Sometimes you have to play the conditions or play Test match cricket in the way that it was. It was kind of designed to be played, i.e. taking a bit of time over over scoring or putting a score on the board. Um, that will give your bowlers a chance to win the test match, um, which sounds, you know, which is an incredibly dull thing to have to say, but they did it and, and they won the game. It's you not know. very sexy. It's, it's not, very, is it? But, the, you know. We total cricket. You, you have your. As Miller might say if he was here. <laughs> yes. But also, too, do they need to be taught that? Isn't that just 101? Everyone well, knows that. Well, no, but no, it isn't 101. That's the thing. Um, it's, become, it's become so, so much. Less than 101, probably about 47, I, I would say, um, for for a lot of teams around the world, but for England in particular, uh, particularly when you know their their record going into the series was eight wins out of nine Test matches, um, and a sort of a feeling that they reinvented the wheel in some in some way, shape, or form. I.e., that it didn't matter which out of your nine players or nine batsmen scored the runs. It didn't matter how quickly you got them. As long as you sort of, uh, you know, went out there and were gung ho enough, you'd always be able to take the wickets that you needed to win uh, to win a game. Um, and that kind of, you know, they were they were given license to think that that was right by the the victory in Sri Lanka, also the victory over India four one, which was, as we said before, was slightly flattering in terms of the uh, the scoreline. But then when it when it was, uh, you know, it became the case that they had to go out there and, and score and bat. Um, normally in uh, in relatively testing conditions against a, a decent bowling attack, um, that that <laughs> that plan just fell to pieces, fell to dust, um, and it was left up to the West Indies themselves to kind of show them how uh, how you can win a Test match by traditional means. So you know, on, on that score, it was it was important because Joe Root and the rest of the guys would go, well, you know what, we can't just go out there and swing for our swing from our bootlaces and hope that. Mark Wood scores 90 off 60 balls and gets us up to a total. You know, it's just not it's not going to happen. It's not a way of banking on winning regular test matches and winning regular test series. I mean, England have had this this sort of new approach to just kind of go, going out all guns blazing right down the order, but they and and Joe Root has not said that he's against that or he's not um, knocked it down as a theory, but mm. they did seem to take uh, a different approach in this test. Uh, Valkyrie on the first day, 114 for four at tee off 50 overs um, with a re- with a reshaped top order. Keaton Jennings was back in. Um, Johnny Bairstow was down the order. Um, and then there was a bit of freedom later on for Joss Butler and, and Ben Stokes to open up a bit. But that, the way they played on that first and those first couple of sessions kind of really set them up. I think, yeah, I think that's right. And I think what the whole series showed was that they both sides needed someone to stand up and do their job in a particular inning. So, you know, we saw that right through the test that you know holders double century unbeaten in the in the second test. Um, you know, there was someone stood up for the West Indies in the first two, and so then in the second test, so we had. Joe Root had an opportunity to, you know, dig in and, and get the the century that he perhaps needed. So he was able to step up there, and then 
and obviously Mark Wood as well. He was sort of a, a re-revelation and he was the one who stood up and did his job there and they could build innings around those performances, which I, I think we saw was a, a formula that, that worked through the series. I mean, that, that was yeah, the, the most dramatic passage uh, of this game, the St Lucia test, and mm. came on a second afternoon. Uh, when we discovered England do actually have a 90 mile an hour tear away bowler to call upon. He's yeah. just been hiding in plain sight for the last four years. Um, <laughs> do you think Mark Wood knew he could bowl at 152 kilometres per hour and 94.6 miles per hour? Well, I'd seen him do it on, on very rare occasion um, over the last four or five years. Normally in a, you know, maybe in a T20 game, maybe in a blast match or something like that where he'd just fly in for two overs and, and, and really let it go. Um, Injury, uh, sort of lack of loss of confidence due to injury, all the all the other things that have sort of dogged him up until this point, um, have meant that when he when he has played in Test match cricket for England, and let's not forget England, absolutely desperate for for somebody of that ilk, particularly when they're uh, overseas with a with a Kookaburra ball, to sort of unlock um, stubborn batting lineups, uh, they've picked him on the promise that he might be able to do that rather than on in the knowledge that he would. Um, and this time, you know, you could just see the, the, the joy with which he, he, he had to be able to trust his body enough to just run in as hard as he possibly could and just let it fly. Um, it was noticeable in the second innings that he, he didn't quite hit those heights once again. And I think that's something that we're going to have to, um, you know, get used to with Mark Wood is that he's not going to consistent every time you throw him the ball, he's not going to run in and bowl 90 mile an hour plus. It's just not going to happen. Um, I think he, he, his body frame... And his action relies a little bit too much on hitting the perfect rhythm. You know, he's not, he's not going to be one of those guys that can muscle the ball down there at that sort of speed, a la Flintoff, or he's not blessed with those long levers like Steve Harmison was, that you could just, you know, he couldn't do anything but bowl the ball fast, um, given his, his body shape. Um, and so, you know, again, it's not, I'm not saying it's a false door, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be really excited about it, but you have to be realistic um, in the fact that, yeah, every once in a while you're going to get a spell like that. A lot of the time, he's not going to be as quick, perhaps not as effective, and also um, might well go around the park for you, uh, because being short and, and skiddy, etc., the ball tends to stay on the line of the middle of the bat for a little bit longer and can disappear. Um, so, but, but absolute real excitement and joy for him, that, for all that he's gone through, that finally he's shown everybody what, what he potentially could do on more than one occasion in the future. I think you hit on it when you said, you know, they knew they could pick him in confidence this time because they knew he had that going for him. But I think also, too, he said himself he knew he could do it and that mm. made all the difference for him. He sort of went in there knowing he was there on merit this time around and not, you know, just he might be able to get the job done. So I think having that behind him and now also having proved it, I mean, sure, like you say, in the second innings he didn't quite have it, but, you know, he could have been very tired and you can't sort of pull it out every <laughs> innings. But, um, but yeah, that, that will probably, you know, go a long way to sort of helping him know that he can do it. He, he, said, um, he said after, I think, that, that second day that he felt like an England player now. Mm. Um, and it, it is one of those, uh, you know, bowling that fast is, is, is tough. <laughs> you know, it's not, yeah, not yeah. as easy thing. It didn't happen every time for Mitchell. Johnson, you know, he would click and it would all go, and he had yep. that sort of two-year pit spell when it was when it was always on fire. But, yeah. Um, uh, but yes, it, it, it's a it's a tough um, it's a tough job. But it is one of the great sights in the game to see to see an England bowler bowling that quickly. Oh, yeah. Like that. Any, yeah. I mean, any bowler. I mean, there were there were occasions in the series where um, where Gabriel sort of cranked it up and had Joe Root hopping around and, and not looking comfortable at all. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to Test match cricket, you know, you've either got incredible run chases, i.e., Kusal Pereira, or you know, or you've got Indeed. or you've got quick quick bowlers making making life very very uncomfortable for batsmen. They're two of the greatest sights um, that the game has to offer. And the challenge, Valkyrie, is, is is to keep him fit. Um, as we say, he, he made his debut kind of four years ago. Mm. Took the wicket that sealed the Ashes that summer. But he's only played sort of 15 tests, uh, and he's been in and out of uh, the one-day side as well. He's had his ankle operations, um, and he does need to be fit if he's going to produce uh, that sort of speed, um, bowl at that speed that the kind of the England need him to be. That's right, and I guess you know that it's not so unusual these days. With you know, you do have player rotation, and you do you are aware with your fast bowlers, you do need to give them rest and what have you. And in his case, that's going to be you know as important as anybody else. And it is, it's something that works, and it's something that can also prolong 
a career, and mm. I guess particularly one that's had to be a bit stop-start for him, <coughs> then, you know, if that's the way he has to be managed, well, that could end up being a very good thing for England, obviously, but for him as well in terms of longevity. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the interesting thing, I guess, is that, you know, he's going to be desperate to play for England in the World Cup. So, you know, the, the talk of sort of managing workloads, etc., is 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 absolutely right, but... He's going to want to play every one 50-over game. Between Everything now. now and then. He's going to want to get some wickets and some rhythm and, uh, under his belt in English conditions in the lead-up to the World Cup because, um, you know, then there is no there is no red ball cricket whatsoever uh, because the, the World Cup gets in the way before the Ashes. So he's got to kind of maintain, um, you know, rhythm, still be taking wickets when it comes to playing in the red ball. The, uh, I guess the one thing, the one caveat as far as Mark Wood is concerned, is as to whether or not England are as desperate for him in England as they are when they go away from home. And that, for me, is, what is, is, the, is the bottom line. Is that it's not the end of the world if Mark Wood is not, um, you know, is not 100% fit and firing at home under our conditions where Sam Curran is, is, is a very effective bowler and lower-order batsman in English conditions as he was against India, where lots of other players that we can pick from will be able to do a, a, a decent job for you in English conditions. It's when we go away from home, it's when you're in India, it's when you're in Australia, it's when you're in South Africa, and you know the swing and seam are not your friends, um, that, that he is absolutely vital, and him bowling at 90-plus miles an hour is absolutely vital. So, I mean, look, manage, management, yes, he's got to, he's got to be taken care of, but on the other hand, he's 29 now. He hasn't got, you know, normally, normally speaking, quick bowlers are done by 32. He hasn't got a lot of time to kind of be wrapped up in cotton wool. So this could be his period where he just goes all out, tries to play in everything, tries to bowl as fast as he possibly can. And if he blows up in a heap at the end of the summer, then so be it. You know, that's, that's the harsh reality of being a quick bowler, I'm afraid. But then I think we saw too that because he had had to wait so long when he came out, it was just like he had been released <laughs> and he just mm. went for it. So, you know, maybe with these guys, when you do have to manage them, they are as hungry as can be mm. when they do get their chance. And best case scenario, they grab it more often than not. So rather than bowling themselves into the ground. Mm. So there's a, a flip side to the flip side, I suppose. <laughs> uh, England will be hoping he, he burns brightly this summer, even if it is uh, uh, briefly. That selection decision certainly went well mm -hmm. um there were one or two others um ones we might have discussed here before on the pod uh, england <laughs> that that look on butch's face um tells you a lot even if you can't see it um <laughs> england have been carrying around uh, enough spare wicket keepers to form a barbershop quartet pretty much but uh in the end uh someone had to go and it was Ben folks who got the chop as, as you'd sort of forecast. Yeah, I, yeah, I figured that, that might be the case. Although although once they'd done it and, and it was Johnny Bairstow that was going to go down and, and bat in, in his spot at number seven, um, I then thought to myself, well, you know, Johnny Bairstow's a terrific player. Um, I think one of, still one of the best two batsmen that we've got in the side. Um, but batting down at number seven, Ben folks is probably as good a player as him down there. Um, and he's definitely a better wicketkeeper than him. So I kind of, you know, that move, that move, kind of bothered me because because now it looks as though, um, you know, they they're going to. That will be the way forward for for the Ashes now. That Johnny's going to Johnny's won basically. He's going to end up at number seven. He's going to keep the gloves, um, and somebody else can. Uh, somebody else has got the problem of having to score runs up the order, um, and not him. Uh, and, jo and Josh Butler, uh, a word for him actually because, um, you know, he was brought into the side, back into the side to, to be a specialist batsman at number seven, which I said was nonsense at the time, and it is nonsense still, um, and he's now been bumped up to number five, and in you know in both innings, I think, looked every inch as though he could hold that job down, so um, you know, hats off to him. And um, Bayliss afterwards, uh, Valkyrie suggesting that you know, Ben folks might just have to bide his time uh, for a bit. That's right, yeah, and it is, it's harsh, and I guess when you have got that depth in that position, someone is going to miss out. I, I sort of, I do also question, you know, do you go with a wicketkeeper who's a wicketkeeper and can bat or a batsman who can keep very well but, you know, isn't a true, pure keeper, I guess. Mm. Is that a position that maybe it isn't being focused on here? Do you know what I mean? Like the, the batting value is far outweighing the ability to keep because, you know, we've got a very competent 
keeper as opposed to someone who's a pure. And, and Bairstow, as, as we've discussed, has worked hard on his keeping. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's no. There isn't, he's there's very no, proud. He of doesn't that. let anybody down when he, when he keeps free. That is for sure. Um, ben Folks is better at, better at it than him for sure. Mm. But the natural government. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, the, I suppose the other the other way of looking at it is that with with two from the three of them being able to play. Who out of Johnny Bairstow or Ben Folkes or uh, Josh Butler would score more runs batting in the top five and not keeping wicket? Mm. And I suppose that comes that will come down between Butler and Bairstow. And for me, it would be Bairstow that the would other score, way around score more runs. Yeah, the way that it looks. So yeah. the only way for the only way for Ben Folkes just to get in the side at the, as things stand at the moment with everybody being fit would be if he was selected as, as keeper batsman to bat number seven. Um, and they decided that Johnny Bairstow was going was gonna to play as a batsman and bat at five, and that would mean no, no position for Joss. So, I mean, listen, the way that it's turned out, it, it, th- I think the two guys that I thought would end up being in the side are in it. <laughs> Whether or not they're you know, in, the, in the positions that I thought they might end up being is, is a moot point. But I think that's, that's what they've decided. That's where they're going to go come the Ashes, which just means that you know, numbers one to three are still not 100% nailed down. So, in that regard... Nothing has changed at all. Well, we've, got, we've done an entire winter <laughs> of six test matches and nothing is different from, from what it was um, at the end of last summer. England will come round to your way of thinking, I'm sure, sooner <laughs> or later, Butch, if they're listening. Um, I mean, did, did, was there a sense that victory um, glossed over some of those um, perennial issues? Obviously, there was a recall for Keaton Jennings mm. um, at opener, having been dropped... Uh, the test before and replaced by Joe Denley, who was then moved down to number three. Mm. Um, is is Joe Denley going to be number three for the Ashes? There's plenty of cricket before. Well, he, he could be between now and then. Yeah, he could be, um, and, it, and he, he did. He showed he showed enough um, technique and and um, and courage, etc., uh, to have not done himself any harm whatsoever. Um, and and being that he's in the side. Means that if he gets off to a half decent start in Div One next year, scores some runs, there's a very good chance he'll end up staying there. Um, you know, Rory Burns played really well, didn't he, in that in that second innings to make eighty um, in, in which one was that? that was Barbados, wasn't it? Um, and and kind of you know found found some odd ways of getting out and has and basically hasn't hasn't. Hasn't made an unanswerable case. Hasn't made an unanswerable case for him, but uh, again, he's in possession, so um, you know he's probably in a better spot than anybody else. Uh, And you know, Keaton Jennings is—I think he's probably played his last Test match for some time, unless something absolutely bizarre happens. And and all of that, all of that means that with whatever six, seven rounds, I think before the before the World Cup of County Championship cricket, that anybody batting in the top three or four for any county. Well, actually, that's probably not true. I'm trying to be as inclusive <laughs> as possible. But, but but there are a lot of batsmen, top order batsmen in the country uh, who who can, press can really case. press a claim um, because because it hasn't been shut down. None of none of the top three have been shut down. Yeah, I think Denley, like you say, he he did enough to keep eyes on him during the county championship, mm. um, and and that's probably it. Yeah. Um, like you say, there's. You know, so many other batsmen who are going to get a go as well. So you know, mm. they'll be they'll also be looking, you know, at them because he didn't go out and score that unequivocal ton and be like, well, it's going to be hard to drop him now. Yeah. So I mean, guys like Vince, Jason Roy, was just made under you know his first appearance in the Caribbean. <laughs> so you know, on the one hand, there was not enough preparation time for some, but they go in and score hundreds. You know. Um, um, who else? You know, there's a whole a whole plethora of guys. You know, people like Adam Lyde, you might have thought that his chance had gone. Nick Gubbins will probably Nick, be on the list. Nick Gubbins, uh, Mark Stoneman, whatever. Ben Duckett Anybody, on the Lions tour. Ben, ben Duckett made some runs on, on the Lions tour. But again, the, the likelihood of him being chosen to bat in the top three is As, is pretty low, um, I would imagine. Yeah, I think Knotts did, were playing him in the middle order when he moved there at the back end of last season. Yeah. So it was a, sort but, of a, a Hales like. But there's no there. reason, there is no, you know, even Alex Hales, you know, I got, got, <laughs> got nailed on, uh, on, on Twitter with people going, why didn't you mention Alex Hales on the, on the television the other day as being one of the openers that come in? So, well, I did say everybody, you know, that includes him, even if he doesn't want to play Red Bull cricket. Well, it was a work for Adil Rashid. Exactly, so. yeah. In fact, the best way of putting your case forward is just to not play at all so nobody can say anything bad about you. <laughs> 
In fact, that, in that case, I've got a chance. <laughs> well, we, we, we try to get you in for the, for the, the, the tour, which is the last man to know what it's like to win there. Um, you mentioned Valkyrie. Um, 100 for Joe Root, that was, uh, well, it was, it was his last chance, uh, his last innings of the tour. He'd never before gone through a test series without scoring 50 or 100, so... Um, yeah, he, he really um, stepped up at, at, uh, at that point. Um, important for him, maybe not so much uh, for the uh, for the series or the kind of the wider context. This, this might just be a self-contained um, innings in a way, but it but it was almost overshadowed by uh, an, another uh, episode, which was um, Shannon Gabriel's sledge, um, which he. Joe Root obviously got lots of plaudits for the way he handled that. Yeah, look, I think he he came out as uh, just his response was so classy and I just think that spoke volumes about his uh, abilities as a leader. I think the the way he he handled it was just all class. Um, You know, there's so much debate about the stump mics and should they be up, should they be down. And I think uh, I, uh, I feel that... The fact that it was heard on the field, he dealt with it on the field. Joe Root came off and then said, look, I, I don't want to, you know, what what was said on the field stays on the field. That's what he said in, in the post-match. I think that's okay because he heard it at the time and responded at the time. However, I, I think the fact that it was picked up by the stunt mics and it, it can then be heard by public, the public, I think that's a good thing because I think that then opens a debate in the wider arena. Joe Root's dealt with it now. He's out of it. It's been heard in a public forum and that basically I think having the stump mics up, it exposes that kind of behaviour. It says that it does exist and it's not okay. And that's that's Moe and Ali's view that sort of turn up, turn up the stump mics, mm. let people make idiots themselves and, and kind of then will deal with it. Um, Trevor yeah. Bayliss very much the opposite, turn them down. Where do you Yeah, well, I mean, that, yeah, sort of the old, old school would, would very much say, look, people have been saying ugly things to one another on on cricket fields forever and a day um, and generally speaking the, the players take it in the, in the spirit that it's meant and they kind of all get on with it afterwards and there's no, and there's no hard feeling um, I, I completely and utterly understand how sort of in the, particularly in the, in the modern world that we live in um, you know whereby um, a light has been shone on a lot of um, poor behaviours a little poor um, discriminatory behaviours however you want to look at it um, and people thinking, well, that's just you know, it's just outrageous. How can you? You can't. That sort of thing in the workplace is not acceptable. Um, it isn't a workplace as such. Uh, <laughs> you know, if that was the case, HR would be very, very busy in uh, in all sporting arenas. But yeah, I, I completely understand. I mean, one of the, one of the things that's uh, from my old sort of cynical brain is, is whirring around. Sort of tells me that it wasn't the first time that something like that had been said in the series. Um, not be- not Same because Joe not because Root I have any his, uh, well not, comeback, yeah so. exactly not because <laughs> I, have, I have any evidence to that fact but just that Joe Root's response was just so pinpoint and so brilliant and so witty and so um, and so uh, so perfect that it just struck me that he may well have had cha- had a chance to have prepared it earlier you know um, but nevertheless it, it makes no difference the optics were pretty good as far as he was concerned and as, part, as far as the, the way that the England team handled themselves were concerned um, Gabriel's apology um, was, was not one of those merely mouthed non-apologies um, you know unequivocal he said it was wrong shouldn't have done it it was in the heat at the moment blah 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 no excuse um, I take my punishment on the chin um, and therefore all, all is well um, you know, it's it's highlighted. It's highlighted that the the player's behaviour is held to a, a higher standard than it has been before. That's what it highlights to me. The, the arguments about the about the mics and whether they should be up or whether they should be down. Um, you know, on the one hand, if the if if the stunt microphones were at the level that they they, they used to be at, nobody outside of the arena would have heard it. The umpires see this is this is this is where I, I get. To the sort of the the crux of this, or where it where it lands for me, is that I would be perfectly happy for the stump mics not to have picked that up and broadcast it around the world, but for the umpires who were aware of this thing going on would have heard what was said, or even the the match officials who might be able to have a, a, a sort of slightly closer ear to these things than the public would be able to go in and say we, this was said, you're going to get nailed for it, punishment meted out. 
um, you know, even... And, and therefore, the whole thing is dealt with. The player is under no um, no illusions as to what his responsibilities are and what will be accepted and tolerated and what won't. And the whole thing moves on without creating the circus around around it and the game and, and potentially bringing the game into disrepute. Um, you know, I, I would have no issue with that. And I would prefer it if things were dealt with that way, actually. But, you know, it's not the world we live in. And so, you know, everybody wants to hear everything. Everybody wants to see everything. Um, and, once it's, and once it's out there... You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Mm. Um, the, I suppose the one thing is is that for, for TV and for entertainment purposes, that stuff's great. It's fantastic. It's absolute gold dust. Because, we end up talking about it because a lot. you talk about it a lot. <laughs> it's all you know. All of a sudden, all the news programs are interested in the game. Um, for the you know that, that's what news is. It's for the wrong reasons. They don't, they they're not interested most of the other time. But on this occasion, they're all over it, um, and you get this um, you know this this snowball effect of, of interest and and people being shocked and horrified and all that kind of stuff um but if the if the if the real reason for having the stump mics up is to eliminate this type of thing then the tv companies go well what the hell are we what's, what are we bothering for <laughs> we're not getting anything out of this um so we'll see we'll see how it works i'm out. sure that is the eventual goal uh, yeah of course it's the goal why, yeah, why, why would you want extra extra ratings and entertainment out of people saying naughty things to each other on the field look i think uh, you in a way, you can't have it both ways. Like you say, you want the mm. entertainment value. Stuff is going to be picked up that's unsavoury. Mm. And the fact well, that... Well, I it don't. I mean, it doesn't bother me. It's just kind of like... I, I, it completely breaks my heart when this stuff happens because I know I'm going to have to talk about it for the next week. And it <laughs> or, or, or you end up having to listen to Suresh Ray, um, um, Rishabh Panth, rather. Well, um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, what was it? The, yeah, it was Fox, wasn't it? The, who basically <laughs> just said, right, we're not going to commentate for two overs so we can listen to Tim Payne and Rishabh Panth having... Bants. Yeah. I mean, good lord! But the the twenty twenty has brought that in as well because you've mm. got the players mic'd up during play mm. and they're about to face a ball. Yeah, and they're having a little chit chat, and that's <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something else entirely, right? Because yeah. and that, in a way, I guess that makes it a little slightly more clinical because they know that they're on mm. camera and they're actually engaging in a conversation, so they are watching what they say. When it's a stunt mic, you know, I think heat at the moment they can forget about it and, and that's when this kind of stuff mm. gets picked up I think when it's and not to labour the point because I know you don't love chatting about this but when it is public I guess you get that opportunity for transparency and debate about it and sort of calling it out and and basically saying look this still happens it's not okay mm. and 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 there it is and and you get that transparency you don't just get look yeah we all know that Bad stuff is said, and you know, but it gets it gets dealt with behind closed doors. Well, you know, at least this brought it out, and we saw what happened, and we saw how it was dealt with, and and that was that. Joe Root might have got himself a new revenue stream as well. So. <laughs> well, talk about players standing up when needed. Uh, Root certainly stood up for something in this case. Now, on to the topic, uh, which our great nation's happiness rests over the coming weeks and months. Tuesday marks a hundred days until the World Cup, which oh. <laughs> Right, yes. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your mind was wandering somewhere. <laughs> um, and in this format, at least, um, England look a pretty settled and contented bunch. God, do they ever? Yeah. Um, land over in the West Indies, Jason Roy gets 100, Joe Root makes another 100 in the, in the warm up games. Not entirely sure what the, the sort of quality of the opposition the, the was. The games were not such a good guide for how the tests were going to go. But, no. But that said, no, uh, indeed. They, they did a comprehensive they, job on the University of West Indies Vice Chancellor's 11. Very snappily yes, named. <laughs> yeah, famous, uh, famous uh, touring opposition. Really did you ever rolls play? off the tongue. Um, <laughs> I don't think I did. I did play against some. Some. I might have been a, a Caribbean eleven or something, though, which is, which is far more snappily <laughs> named yeah. and more useful for the uh, for the after match refreshments. Um, <laughs> I think they had to do lectures after this. <laughs> did they? <laughs> yeah, did they get an honorary <laughs> degree? Uh, yeah. But yes, you say there were hundreds to Joe Root. Yeah, so and the, Jason Roy. They, they, and, they, and they the turn up. Wickets and they won by 171. Runs. They smashed the <laughs> smash the opposition into into smithereens, and um, you know all, all looks well. Uh, and you wouldn't, you know, for, for sure, as, as difficult as it's been for English teams to win Test series in the West Indies, the um, this side are not going to be overly daunted by uh, by anybody playing in, in, in the white ball game. And again, it will be it, the interest, I guess, is going to be entirely around the internal battles um, with England and their squad, and who's hot, who's not. Does Hales manage to fight, fight his way in? Do, you know, will Liam Plunkett um, 
fight off the challenge of perhaps Mark Wood for one, and more, in, you know, interestingly and perhaps more enticingly, uh, Joffre Archer for two. Well, Joffre Archer is yes, he's the man sort of lurking mm. um, off stage. Um, this this fifteen man squad, uh, Valkyrie, we, we touched on it with George earlier, but they're. There aren't there aren't many places up for grabs. Um, it's probably the bowlers, and, and hence the interest in Archer, where the most interest is going to be over the, the next five games, um, which is the last series before England's World Cup squad will be named in April. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be a really interesting aspect of of this, and also um, I think Tom Curran as well. Sort of he he's really pressing his claims. He's had a fantastic big bash, been yeah. really you know working hard. Um, on, on nailing down a place there. So, you know, that that is another one to consider that I think, you know, sometimes yeah. we, you know, well, we don't you know, sort of gloss over, but, you know, it's just one who's pushing yeah. his claims. He's, we need to keep an eye on He would him. be in your in, in the 15 anyway, wouldn't he, Tom? Mm. He'd be one of the guys that was in the in the sort of the strongest 15. Yeah, but then how much, do, you know, does he play? Well, I mean, Wood yeah. Now bursting through and it, I guess it claim. depends because because they've used Tom very much as a as a... Obviously, his batting is is a, is a factor, but he, they've he used a, him at the good, death, haven't they? With, they with yeah, the bat as well, they've but. used it. He's he's kind of been the guy that jo, uh, that Owen has thrown the ball to to bowl the important overs at the end, which is not Liam Plunkett's job. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't give Mark it to Wood Mark Wood necessarily? Done it too much, no. Yeah. So you know, Chris that's, Wokes being fit is an important factor. Yeah, well. yeah, huge. So I mean, he, there isn't as far as I can as far as I can see. Um, with my eyes closed here, uh, the, the the fifteen that's out there at the moment with Joe Denley in it, um, Joe Joe is kind of the spare part for me. And if if somebody like uh, if if Joffre Archer were con- to be considered, then England would be able to have a fifteen man squad um, with with a, with a spare batsman who at the moment I think is, is Alex Hales, um, and all kinds of options covered in terms of the the fast bowling unit. But they don't have to make that decision until what middle of middle towards the back end of April and so it will be fabulously interesting to see who who comes out of this trip in the West Indies with the with the most credit on on the bowling side of things I don't think the batting lineup is going to change at all Uh, I don't think there's any reason for it to Um, you know the one guy who perhaps has been under more pressure than anybody else over the last couple of years Owen Morgan has has, has basically shut everybody up now um, as to whether he deserves his place (laughs) in the side or should be captain Mm. um can we please not hear any of that nonsense until the World Cup's <laughs> over? Um, and, you know, the, the rest of it picks itself and it's only injury and catastrophic loss of form that's going to change that. Um, there's been an announcement. Will, will players like um, the World Cup will surely see uh, the uh, players retiring uh, left, right and centre. But could be a great way for Owen Morgan to go out. Um, one we definitely know uh, will be calling it a day after the World Cup, is Chris Gale, who made his announcement yesterday, um, which I, I guess means... he was means, understated um, in that, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was very, very modest. Well, he might have mentioned um, the universe boss t- term half a dozen times, but <laughs> I, what I want to know is, does this mean uh, we have to open up the recruitment process for a new one? I mean, who's going to be the, the boss once the boss is well, there? Well, I don't know. I mean, oh, and and do, do you get him a paperweight, you know, <laughs> or, or a watch for his retirement gift? <laughs> Mate... He's that I read the transcript of some of that. I didn't see it, but the, of his um, of his interview. And I, I suppose on the one hand, you could go, "Wow, I mean, this guy's just the most conceited man in the world," or you could say he's the most entertaining bloke who's ever given an interview about cricket. Um, plus, also, possibly, most, possibly the same both. Thing, um, and, <laughs> and you know, and everything that he says, he can back up. You know, treble hundreds in Test match cricket, most sixes ever hit. What, you know, whatever whatever record there is to be to to have been had. Um, he's up there, so uh, fair play to him. I think you nailed it. It is just the entertainment value because you do read that on paper and you go, what? Yeah. And then you actually see him and he's doing a lot, like he's doing side eyes when he cracks that, you know, that I'm the greatest yeah. and, you know, the, the young guys have to win the World Cup for me. They owe it to me. And then and you can see him looking yeah. over to his teammates it, going, you know, I mean this sort of... Yeah, so it is... It it's looks a, so bad on paper, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks If you can terrible. picture him saying it, you know, yeah. it's, he doesn't mean it. Yeah, so great, yeah, great entertainer. Not yeah. universe boss, entertainer. Um, and it, and it, you know, there are a lot of players. Uh, for the Wendy, Wendy's are often talking about players who aren't there, sort of Narine, Andre Russell, Pollard. But having Gale back, I mean that they are as much as England are on a run of success. I think it's nine. 
bilateral series wins in a row if we ignore that defeat to Scotland uh, one-off defeat to Scotland last summer um, <laughs> the Windies actually haven't won a, a bilateral ODI series since 2014 yeah. um, so they could do with some of the sort of Jason Holder test magic uh, rubbing off mm. uh, on the side or even the World T20 winning magic um, rubbing off on this 50 yeah. over side I mean, with the World Cup so close now but there are so, so many of those guys that, del- that delivered that uh, as you just mentioned, they're not they're not available. I mean, you know, I'd love to see Andre Russell in the World Cup. I mean, what a cricketer he is! Um, it's very hard to replace that in 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 any team. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know how many how many has he played. Andre Russell, he's hardly played any one day international cricket, has he? Uh, he he played, uh, I think, on the tour of Bangladesh quite recently. But yeah, he hasn't um, got mm. a big. Uh, uh, record to go on. Mm. Uh, it's it's T20 is 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 his is form. Thing, yeah, his, I think he's been playing in the BPL, but just doesn't feel up to, to playing 50 overs. Mm. So that is a, obviously a shame for the, for the Windies. But you know they've got some exciting players. Hetmyer, this John Campbell, I think is is a terrific John uh, Campbell ball striker up on, on the back of his yeah. test form. Um, um, O'Shane Thomas will play, which is which I'm so looking forward to everybody seeing him because he's fantastic. Um, big man. seriously quick and very very large um, <laughs> and uh, yeah I mean who knows the, the, the West Indies are, if the, the West Indies kind of attitude wise seem to be as, as on it and as together as, they, as they've been for quite some time so you know it, it may well be that they uh, that they cause an upset or two in this series I don't expect them to win it I mean if they did that, that would be a shock I mean, we, we, we talked be, about England being favourites of the test oh, many moons ago now yeah, but yeah. this would be a yeah. surprise I mean that would be an earthquake it really would but um, but but it will I think it will be a real stern stern test for the side anyway and, the, and they'll have taken confidence from winning the test series yeah and I was thinking about that test series and who did that unearth that you know we could you know look forward to seeing more in this series and you mentioned John Campbell you know he made his test debut and I, I'm really interested to see how he goes having been called up on you know mm. on the strength of that um no, yeah. Evan Lewis, of course, the, the mini Gale mm. who is injured, but um, yeah, John. Campbell, yeah, that's a shame. Possibly. Shame. Yeah, so I mean that that's uh, that's interesting. Um, I think yeah, and I think the confidence that does play a part. I mean, their first test win, you know, buoyed them for the their second test, mm. and um, yeah, and they absolutely smashed that again. So yeah, you, you've got to you've got to say that they you know they're going to be walking around with a spring in their step now and. You know, sort of say, well, look, look at our most recent performances. Sure, different side, different personnel, but a lot of the same as well. And you know, yeah. and they'll be able to say, well, let's keep keep this on a roll. So yeah, it could be interesting. Crowds as well. I hope you know. Hope the Caribbean comes out in in support. Um, you know, it's great. Obviously, great to see so many of the the Brits out there supporting our team. But it'd be fabulous if there were equal equal numbers of um, of West Indian supporters at the grounds too. Um, now, before we finish, uh, there was a. Pretty memorable result in, in Durban the weekend. <laughs> Not much of a crowd, actually. But no. Kushal Pereira and Vishwa Fernando um, put on 78 for the last wicket. Um, a test record in a successful chase uh, in the fourth innings. This is um, to help Sri Lanka win their first match in any format since October. Wow. Beating South Africa on their own patch. That uh, was really quite remarkable. But it was um, an incredible test. It really was. From, uh, I mean, look, I, I was, was sat there in the studio doing the sort of continuity announcing bit in the gallery at Sky. And in order to kind of, as much as to keep myself interested as anything, when Sri Lanka bowled, bowled out to South Africa for 2-5-9 or whatever it was in the, in the second innings, or South Africa's second innings, I sort of bigged it up and said, oh, well, that's it. You know, they've knocked over the last five for eight for eight runs um, you know they've got a huge chance of causing an upset here and I'm thinking there's no way on earth they're getting these it's the biggest the, the biggest score in the match to make 304 um, and then that happened I mean it was what a great innings it was so so good I mean every time you thought he's stuck a bit between a rock and a hard place here they've taken the new ball how much can he expose um, Fernando at the other end I think he ended up facing nearly 30 nearly five overs worth at the end there in, in ones and twos and then he just dong one out of the park. You know, every time you thought, well... They're, they're, They'll they're say still, no less as well. Yeah, every time they're sort of like looking at the squad thinking, oh, they're 40, 43, 44, 35 away, 37 to get with one wicket down. Oh, no, make that 31. It's gone out of the park again. <laughs> and you just like watching it going, this is, this is outrageously good. Um, and boy, did they need it. I mean, they've been so bad. 
<laughs> they really have. They've been to, just to get the meme out again. So bad. <laughs> um, but um, brilliant scenes. Shame there weren't more people there to see it. And um, that's uh, you know, it was just a pity for Pereira that he wasn't at home because uh, he would have had a. They'd have had street parties for him back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, one of only I think it's three uh, teams to pull off a one-wicket win away from home. Mm. So they're, the narrowest margin, thirteen uh, in te- times in tests, I think. Um, one finished one hundred fifty-three not out, which was the same as Brian Lara against the Australians mm. uh, back in ninety-nine. So good uh, parallels there. And this is the sort of thing that uh, only Test cricket can provide. Well, that's right. I mean, if only we had someone here familiar with uh, scoring a fourth innings <laughs> unbeaten ton to save Funny. a match. <laughs> but no, but it's, it's lovely no to see. No generous declaration on this one. <laughs> but it is lovely to see you so, yeah, so enthused about it because, I mean, that, that it was a fairy tale. I mean, that's the kind of thing that cricket throws up, that sport throws up all the time. Yeah. You know, that that's the beauty of it. You know, there's plenty of mis- misfortunate, terrible times and then there's, you know, great performances and, you know, great, great you know, innings that, that save a match and um, yeah that that was an absolute you know blinder you know, the, the, the other thing about it is is that it happens to all of us all, all sort of cricket watchers and, and even people playing in the matches at times will will think oh you know have we got enough with a declaration of 400 or whatever it is or a team gets bowled out for 350 and if the opposition gets off to a decent start say they're 80 for none or whatever everyone starts panicking and you, and, and, and the, the cold Realist in me always says they're miles away. Nobody ever chases more than three hundred. You know, it's happened. You've probably got the stats there, but it happens so rarely in Test well, match yeah, cricket. Well, J- yeah, Jared Kimber wrote a piece on it. Not he did. Uh, you know, he did. I mean, it's just, it's just a, um, it's just something it's, that never ever happens. I think it's one in twenty. As soon as you get above three hundred, is that right? And that's and that's you know. We'll, before you factor in you know, the fact that Sri Lanka were in South African conditions against South Africa, yeah. possibly the best bowling so there attack, so, certainly the best home There are so, so few of these, of these run chases um, that, you know, when it happens, and when it happens as dramatically as that, um, with a, a, a record 10th wicket partnership, no less, um, it's, just, it's just astonishing. And it's just brilliant to watch because you kind of... You know, you, you get the feeling that when the cameras were panning up to the balcony for the Sri Lankan team, that they they were still thinking, "No, we're not going to, we're not going to get there." <laughs> not until not until they needed four to win. Then all of a sudden, they're like, "You're not, <laughs> you're serious, Are you kidding me?" And they all completely lost it, and quite right too, because you just, you know, the the um, the chances of that happening are just so slim. Uh, it was um, gloriously bonkers and, mm. and the sort of thing that keeps coming back for more. <laughs> um, Right, well, like Kushal Pereira, let's finish things there. We'll be back to check on England's progress in the Caribbean um, and stick a thermometer in the World Cup patient. Um, mm. My thanks to Butch and Valkyrie and to you for listening to the Switch It podcast on espncookinfo.com. <laughs> <laughs>